Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. This is Mandy Jenkins. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and sharing our stories makes us brave. The goal of the Kindred and Brave Project is to support you in being a learner instead of a knower by offering actionable practices for you to try in your own lives. My podcast aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today. A couple days before Thanksgiving is when we're recording this episode. And before we dig into what I have for you all, I want to share a really special story from just this morning. So we call this a glimmer. Uh, I learned this term actually from a friend who uh, is familiar with the grief world. So oftentimes when we've experienced grief or anything hard, we know about triggers or even somebody who has anxiety knows what a trigger is, right? A glimmer is the opposite of a trigger or something that makes you feel content or happy instead of sad, right? So small moments that spark joy. My mom died on April 1st of 2020. It was right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And when we met at the funeral home, it was very clear that we would not be able to have a service, anything near what we wanted. They were instructing us that maybe 10 people could come into the room at one time. Obviously masks were required. So we decided to wait until August. As you know, the pandemic lasted more than a few months. It lasted years. And so when August rolled around, uh, it was still, cases were still surging and it felt like a really hard decision to make, but I was also pregnant with my daughter. So we decided not to have a service for my mom. And it's something that I struggled with for a long time. And I read a lot of grief books and hopped on all the the Instagram posts and people who talked about what we can do to honor our loved ones. And I decided to put up what is called a little free library. And it is just what it sounds like. It is, it looks kind of like a house and they're, they can be very big or kind of small. You can order them from a company. Sometimes people make their own. I ordered mine and I had a very nice plaque on it in dedication to my mom. And we had an opening in our subdivision and it felt like such a special way to honor her. I actually sprinkled some of her ashes in as my husband put the post into our yard. My mom loved, loved, loved to read. She loved to buy Micah books. She bought books all the time. And uh, she really admired the little free libraries that were all over Seattle. So today, my son came in this morning and he had just taken the dogs out and he had a box of milk bones in his hand. And he said, this was on our porch. I think I should go put them out by the Little Free Library. Now, one of the things that I added to our Little Free Library is what's called a bark box. So in my dream, we were going to have people coming and sharing books and taking books. And the bark box is always filled with milk bones and I have two dogs, I love dogs, and it brings me great joy to see people walking by and giving their dogs treats. So I said, no, no, wait, it was in a Ziploc bag and I could see the note, there was a note attached to it, so I wanna read it to you. 
It says, our daughter's doodle likes to stop by for a treat on her daily walk. She pulls us over to your treat station. That is the highlight of her day. I thought you could use a supply of treats as a show of thanks. And it was the greatest glimmer to start my day. I wanted to share it with you because it's one of those really small things that I think it's important to stop and pay attention to. Now, they could have just poured those treats into the bark box, but they they left this kind note, and I thought it was so sweet. So diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a life-changing lesson that I learned from another podcast, which is called Unlocking Us uh, with Brene Brown. You're probably not surprised if you've known anything about me or followed along so far. Brene Brown's work has had a huge impact on who I am and my own work. So I'll get into it, but first I want to share a story of how I found this lesson. In February of 2020, my mom was in the hospital for 12 days. I had extended my trip back to Seattle by just one day, so I was flying back and forth from Chicago to Seattle to see my husband and son, spending about two to three weeks in Chicago and about four to five days in Seattle. This had been going on since August, and by this trip, um, it was getting harder for my son, Micah, who was just five at the time, to, to say goodbye and have me leave again. So... I find out that she got home from work. She had stage four cancer and she was still working full time. She got home from work and she went to change into her pajamas and she collapsed in pain and my dad had to call the ambulance. So I flew in the next day and immediately started working on getting her transferred from a Northwest Indiana hospital to her hospital, which is the University of Chicago. That process took days and it was really hard. Uh, I watched her in a lot of pain, and I had a lot of questions that weren't getting answered, and there was just a lot of back and forth between the hospitals, and I had this feeling that it, it really could be the beginning of the end of a journey. After four days, we got her transferred, and she asked that I ride in the ambulance with her. Um, I had become her power of attorney, and I was her main caretaker. This wasn't a question she had to ask me. I wasn't leaving her side, but it was a very, very hard thing to do. I vividly remember the sunset as we got into the ambulance. Um, The whole area of the Midwest is rather flat in comparison to the Pacific Northwest, but the roads that we were driving to to get to the expressway uh, were really flat and the trees had lost their leaves and you could see a perfect view of the sunset. I watched her frail body being pushed into the back, and I remember turning forward to face the front of the window as I started to cry. And I mentioned in the last episode that I've learned to find that there are angels all around me always. This is something that a friend pointed out to me after I started sharing sweet stories of humanity, much like the glimmer I just shared with you today. So the woman who was driving the ambulance was very intensely focused, which is what you would want. She was almost stoic. She didn't say anything to me. She didn't make any eye contact when I got in. But once I started crying, she 
handed me a tissue with no words. This made me cry harder, and I thanked her profusely. I asked her how long this trip would take. I felt nervous that my mom was strapped to a gurney, that I couldn't hold her hand. I knew she was scared. And it was interesting because she said that it depends. She knows the expressways like the back of her hand. And depending on traffic, there were certain lanes that she had to avoid. So there were less bumps on the road. She said that it could get quite bumpy in the back of the ambulance. And that's uncomfortable for the patient. As you can imagine, I prayed for all of the right lanes. She spent eight long days at the University of Chicago, and her oncology team finally came in, and they visited her in the room. Um, She was in and out of being positive to really struggling to being very, very sick. She had a tube inserted into her chest, and they were um, taking fluid out. She had to have a colonoscopy, a lot of testing. So the days and nights were very long. The oncology team came in as a group and one of our favorite nurses was there. And they told us, don't worry, we have more tricks up our sleeve. We would continue this journey to fight as soon as she was released and on her way home. So this whole time she had been in the hospital meant that she was not taking her her cancer pills, which were part of a clinical trial. She fretted about this, I hated this, and it caused a lot of anxiety for all of us. When she was released, she walked out of the hospital all by herself, no wheelchair, she made it all the way to the car and promptly requested a McDonald's fish sandwich and french fries, something that she always ate when she was sick. It was soon after we got home that her breathing had gotten even worse. She had been on oxygen in the hospital for the whole time, and now this became the norm. So when we went back for a checkup, they realized that there were pockets of fluid filling around her lungs, making it almost feel like she was drowning. The next appointment was possibly the most difficult Getting her into the car from the house probably took close to a half an hour. I had to put her oxygen tank somewhere between the floor and her lap and adjust it to make sure she could breathe well. I drove like I was driving for the first time with a newborn baby. We had heard of COVID, but we didn't know much about it. And we were able to valet the car at the entrance to the University of Chicago but she was too weak and I had to carry her and her oxygen tank through the doors. She was gasping for air and I was able to set her on a ledge immediately as we opened the door. I quickly scanned, I looked around. There was usually a group of wheelchairs off to the side and there were only a couple left. As I grabbed one of the last wheelchairs, I remember making eye contact with a man and we, we looked at each other like, do we, do we touch these? Is this safe? And we both pumped the hand sanitizer out of the hand sanitizer station and wiped down the wheelchairs, a process that still felt really foreign at that time. This was the first time in her cancer journey that she could not walk up to her appointment. To say the mood was somber was an understatement. 
This was also the first time that I sat in the office and actually broke down. Normally, I had my notes and my questions, and I stayed really strong. One of the care team came in and took her to do a walking test, which really was just a couple steps down the hall to measure where her oxygen was and to see how far she could get down the hall, and I cried. I was met with a knowing look from her oncologist. We discussed options, and now cancer was last on the list of things that we needed to address. First, her oncologist said we needed to get my mom to be able to breathe. I asked my mom what she thought of this, and she trusted her doctor, and she said this sounds like a good plan. So the following week, she was scheduled for what was called a pleural drain procedure, which meant they put a permanent tube in her chest that I would be responsible for unraveling, connecting to a jar to drain every other day. I couldn't see how this would be the best plan given how weak she already was, but doctor's orders, and she was still able to make decisions, and so this is what we did. The procedure went really well, and she had a really solid day afterwards. She was able to walk up the stairs carrying her oxygen. She had a positive attitude, Shortly, it was in the days following, when she sat down on the couch in the living room, and she finally said to me, Sweetie, I don't want to do this anymore. My heart fell into my stomach, and I tried as hard as I could to play dumb. She said, I'm so tired, Mandy. I'm just so tired. I've learned so much through therapy and grief trainings over the past three and a half years, but in that moment, I admit I really fucked up. I didn't let her feel her feelings the way she had let me feel mine during my whole life. I tried to dangle Micah, my son, and the light of her life like a carrot in front of her. I urged her to keep fighting. I told her that Micah needed her that we needed her. I've worked really hard on forgiving myself for this over the years, but it can still creep up as a really big gut punch. I went to get her ready for her next appointment the following week. This was a long process. Indiana to Chicago, where we live to the hospital, is only about 35 miles, but depending on traffic, it could take quite a bit of time. Also, by this point, she couldn't get dressed or bathe herself or do anything on her own. So I'd bathe her, I would dress her, I would blow dry her hair, all making sure she could sit down very frequently as she still lost her breath very quickly. That day we didn't get very far into the routine. She looked at me and she told me she couldn't do it. She didn't want to go. This time I told her it was okay. I said, whatever you want, mom. I remember she asked me if I was mad at her. And that question, and when I think about how she asked it, to this day still breaks my heart. I was so proud of her. I could see it now. I could see the fatigue. I could see the surrender. 
I didn't leave her often, but since she was still not really eating salads, I was on a mission to get her the clear apple-flavored Ensure. She had had it in the hospital, and it was her favorite flavor, and for some reason, it seemed like it was impossible to find. It did have some protein, and it fulfilled my illusion that I was feeding her. It gave me a sense of control. I messaged her care team and told them she was too weak to come in, and I asked them what we should do. I distinctly remember where I was sitting in the CVS parking lot, which if you're not familiar with CVS, it's like a version of Walgreens, when her nurse Olivia called me. Her voice was tender and so compassionate. She asked me if I thought I could be able to get her to the clinic at any point soon. I broke down and told her that I'd have to carry her and I don't think she'd make it from the car to the door. She told me how sorry she was. She told me that I was such a loving and amazing daughter and that the team was in awe of how special our relationship was. She said that my mom's body was likely starting to shut down, that palliative care was the best option. My body heaved in the car. Like hospice, I asked her. She told me I could call her anytime. She told me that what was next would likely be the hardest part of this journey for me. Not for my mom, but for me. She said that the oncologist would be following up with me later that day. She did. And she said that it isn't the news that she likes to give patients over the phone, but since my mom couldn't make it to the clinic, she'd have to give it to her over the phone. She asked me if I wanted to tell her or if I wanted her to deliver the news. I said that I would like to be with her and have her on speakerphone, but I would like for her to explain why she made the decision. I went home that day and I told my dad whispering quietly in the kitchen. Absolutely not, is what he said. She's not done fighting. He angered, his face got red. I said, Dad, this is it. We were tense and angry with each other often in these days. I told him I didn't ask him that she was going to call later and I was going to put her on speakerphone and let her talk to Mom. He stormed off, and I was pissed. But now I know through the trainings that I've gone through that his grief was manifesting in denial. It had been this whole time. I was taking action through a really long trip through anticipatory grief. That day when I held up the phone, she sat up as much as she could in her bed, and she told the doctor... She said, if I could just eat and gain some weight. She said, I think I can continue treatment. The doctor's tone was firm but compassionate as she gave the news to my mom. My mom stayed quiet as tears rolled down her face. The doctor asked her if she had any questions, and she shook her head and said no. 
The details that followed this are for another episode. In that moment, looking for another way to feel like I was helping or constructing some sense of control, I went on a hunt for more Apple and Sure. I figured we would need it. On March 20th, 2020, I got in the car and turned on the first episode of Unlocking Us as I drove from pharmacy to pharmacy, picking up any bottles I could find. This episode, this first episode, was absolutely a gift from the universe. It was called FFTs, Fucking First Times. Brene talked about how when we are in something new and hard and messy, that we have to acknowledge it. Embrace the suck, as she says. This, this is why I was in a game of an emotional ping pong each day. I was in FFT after fucking first time. They were piling up faster than I could process them. I'd love to tell you that I use the steps in her podcast to calm my nervous system and deal with the next weeks or months or years better than I had been, but I didn't yet. But I'm sharing this because just having a language, a name for what was happening to me, felt like life support. I'll share with you what Brene said about how to deal with the FFTs, which by the way, if you are human, you will have them over and over again. The first step is to name it. Oh, yes, I'm in a fucking first time. I'd like to add that this is something I do with each of my clients. And in this process, I give them my favorite tool it's called the emotion wheel. I'll link it in the show notes. And it is just what it sounds like. It's a giant wheel of emotions. Because as humans, we usually use about three words to describe how we feel. Happy, sad, or mad. And that's just not enough. It's not enough to understand ourselves. And it's not enough to understand each other. A lot of my FFTs then were grief-related, and grief is a complex emotion. So it helped to name that I was furious, petrified, devastated, exhausted, just to name a few. Now, she says, after we say, ah, what is this feeling? It's hard. It's a fucking first time. The next step is to normalize it. And that looks like saying to yourself or your coach or someone that you trust, This sucks because it's new and it's hard and it's really uncomfortable. The next step is to put it into perspective. I did get through these first steps pretty often in the beginning. For example, I could say, shit, I'm in an FFT. This is the first time I've cared for someone who is dying. It's okay to feel scared. It's okay to feel sad. My mom won't always be dying. I won't always be feeling this way. This feeling, being scared and sad that my mom is dying, is not permanent. So the perspective is reminding yourself that it won't always be new or hard or last forever. Last, 
She says, we have to reality check our expectations. I sucked at this for a very long time. I was not caring for myself well then, and I didn't know what I needed or how to even ask for help. But what it may have looked like is a conversation with my therapist where I was able to accept that my dad was in denial and I couldn't expect that to change now and I couldn't do anything about it. Reality checking the expectations that he wasn't going to change. So many types of FFTs are out there. We go through new jobs, new relationships. We go through forgiving people. Or maybe some of you are approaching the first holiday season with the giant first fucking time of not having a loved one with you this year. Whatever it is, I encourage you to give yourself the permission to feel it. And that leads us to this episode's practice. I'd like for you to think about an FFT that you have had recently. How do you feel about how you handled it? This is where you pull out your handy dandy emotion wheel that you're going to print out from the show notes. I have one taped in my office and I can almost guarantee that every client I've worked with has one saved to the home screen of their phone or has printed one out for themselves. The last thing I want you to think about is what steps can you take to continue to process your FFT, to move through it? Do you need more perspective? Is it reality checking expectations? Do you need to do a better job of naming what you're actually feeling? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Remember, you can DM me at Kindred Coaching on Instagram or send me an email, mandy at kindredandbrave.com. The card that I pulled for us today is from Gabby Bernstein's deck, and it's titled, The Universe Has Your Back. And that's exactly what the card says. It happens to be one of the ones in the deck. Its meaning was our mantra when my mom was sick and continues to be a guiding affirmation in my life. I hope that you find meaning in these words and remember that glimmers, grace, and grief can all be intertwined. Please subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review. These are so helpful and they really mean the world to me. Also, if you head over to my website at kindredandbrave.com and sign up for my newsletter, you will get a free download that will help you connect to your emotions and identify how you feel. I will link all of this in the show notes. I can't wait to talk to you all soon.